0: Invite the children up for the children's message. today. What am I holding? Oh, the Bible. It says the Bible. Now I heard somebody once say that the word Bible, each letter represents or stands for another word. Bible, the first word B, basic. Then the I, instruction. Then the B, before. Then the L, leaving. Then the E, earth. Basic instructions before leaving earth. That's pretty good, isn't it? And what do we learn about in here? What's the most important thing? What, the center of the story. God, and what does he do for us? Who did he send? Jesus, and he came to die for our sins. That's why this is so important to learn the story of how God loves us. And today you're going to get a little maze, a cross, with a maze in it, and supposedly there's a little metal ball in there. Either I can't see it because it's too small or this one doesn't have one. But uh, you go through the maze and it's a lot of fun. You can think about the cross and how Jesus went to the cross because he loves you so much. I want to thank you for coming up, and you can leave now.
1: Reading for today is taken from the book of Numbers, chapter 22, verses 1 through 6. Then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Now, Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. The Moabites said to the elders of Midian, this horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the fields. So Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pethor, near the Euphrates River, in his native land. Balak said, a people has come out of Egypt, They cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people, because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. Here ends the Old Testament reading. The epistle reading for today is taken from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 18 through 31. For the message the for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person a stumbling block for Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to, not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus Who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Here ends the epistle reading.
2: rise for the reading of the Holy Gospel. Our Holy Gospel reading this morning is from John 12, verses 42 through 50. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words, but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So wherever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Here ends our holy gospel lesson. We'll continue by confessing our faith in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven.
0: and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the vicar continues his studies at St. Louis Seminary and uh, studying much of what I studied, and he, I'm his mentor, so occasionally he sits down with me and uh, his prop wants him to ask me specific questions, and then I answer them, usually over a couple beers, I don't know what it is with you today. <laughs> and he took a book on the confessions. These are the Lutheran confessions. This is the book of Concord. A lot of material. Spend a lot of time in this at seminary. And even though he can't get graded down in what my answers are, the professor could add his opinion. And one of the questions was: how often or has your pastor, you know use the Book of Concord, whether in a Bible study or a sermon. And I just said, never, (laughs) never used it. Obviously the professor wasn't happy with that answer. It's not what he wanted to hear, and he's probably thinking, what kind of dope is this mentor? He probably doesn't even own a Book of Concord. I bet in college he took the Book of Concord back to the bookstore and sold it back for beer money. I did take back my wife's and got beer money. (laughs) So the next session, there were some questions again for the mentor. And after the the final question was about the church and the use of the confessions. I said, write this, granted the blessed Mary praise for the church. And so we did. And so in class at the Zoom class, that was read, and, you know, all the students got a chuckle. Even the professor laughed. Now, this guy's an expert in the Book of Concord. The vicar said, uh, you know, those words are in our confessions. Those words certainly don't sound Lutheran, and they're certainly not supported in the Bible. Let showed that professor who's smart. <laughs> Obviously, I don't agree with that. But I do love the Bible. I think the confessions are important, but the Bible, I love the Bible, and being part of a Bible-believing church. I love the stories of the Bible, though many times the stories leave you with more questions than answers. Our Old Testament lesson for today, Balaam. Balaam is um, involved in the dark arts, okay? He's a sorcerer. And he's a very confusing figure. Sometimes he's called a prophet, but he's not a prophet for the Israelites. And he seems to be well-known and seems to have power. Never underestimate the forces of darkness. What he blesses is blessed. What he curses is cursed. I would not think God would give him the time of day, but he talks with God. Now, the situation... King Balak of Moab, he has heard that the Israelites are traveling to the Promised Land. This is the wilderness journey. He has heard how everyone they encountered was defeated. He's afraid of these people. He's afraid of their God. So he sends a group to ask Balaam if he would curse them. Balaam says, I first have to talk to their God. Now, it was believed at this time by people outside the Israelites that geographical areas or certain peoples were ruled by certain gods we see that in the story of Naaman remember uh, Naaman has leprosy he's not an Israelite he's an outsider eventually he gets to Elisha the prophet Elisha heals him of his leprosy and then what does Naaman ask because now he wants to worship the god Elisha worships he asked to take dirt from this property, this land, and take it to his home, that he may lay that dirt out and make his prayers and his sacrifices to the God of Elisha on that land. So God tells Balaam, uh, no, don't curse him. Now, of course, this entourage was promising money also to Balaam. Balaam loves money. Well, King Balak, they return, and Balak sends more important people and even a greater promise of more money. This is the confusing part of the story also. Finally, God tells Balaam he can go, but only say what I tell you to say. Now, on his way, listen to what happens. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat it to get back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path through the vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat it with his staff. Then the Lord opened a donkey's mouth, and it said to Balaam, you know, it's really entertaining to read it out of the King James Version. (laughs) Go home, check it out. What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, You have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey? Would you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opens Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with the sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell down, face down. It's not an angel. You don't worship angels. This is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. When you see angel of the Lord, usually it's him in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, I would have certainly killed you by now, but I would have spared the donkey. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with Balak's officials. First it was a no, then it was a yes, then he goes, then the angel of the Lord is there opposing him, and then it's a yes. I don't, I don't, I'm not ever going to understand God. I'm not even following the story but God must have a reason when Balaam got to the people the Israelites three times he opened his mouth to curse them but a blessing came out he could not speak evil against God's people and in fact he would speak four prophecies now imagine this is not a person belonging to the God of Israel he would speak four prophecies, one about the coming of Jesus Christ. We always hear it around Christmas time. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. Well, you can imagine King Balak is not happy. He sends him home or says, go home, and I'm not giving you any money because you didn't curse these people, you blessed them. You made it even worse. Balaam's not going to give up. He loves money. In Numbers 25, while Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women, who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. Notice, Moabite women... How did this happen? We don't learn until Numbers 31, and now it's speaking of this historical event. They were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and enticed the Israelites to be unfaithful to the Lord in the Peor incident, so that a plague struck the Lord's people. From the inside. That's how Balaam figured it out. He couldn't curse them but from the inside he would be, bring the evil. We hear about Balaam in the New Testament too. Second Peter 2, talking about people who have wandered off the path. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, who loved the wages of wickedness. In Jude 11, woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for a profit into Balaam's air. Money, money, money. In Revelation, Revelation begins with John being directed by God to write a letter, seven letters to seven different churches. And in chapter two, to the church in Pergamum, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin So that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. From the inside. Obviously that church was having issues. They were allowing some things that were condemned by the Bible, by the word of God, and they were allowing allowing it to happen in the church. Corruption from the inside. During COVID, Parents were shocked to learn what was being taught in their schools. From the inside. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, St. Louis Seminary, this was years and years and years ago. The professors, the majority of them, were teaching the historical critical method. And this went on for years. (laughs) The historical critical method calls into question every miracle in the Bible. As they were producing, the clergy, thank goodness for the laity, the priesthood of all believers, they were realizing, hey, they are deviating from the truths of the Bible. It's their seminary, so they went to the seminary and said, what's going on? As a result, it was called the walkout. Most of the students left. Most of the professors left. My brother Ron was one of them. They would make a makeshift seminary called Seminex. My brother Rick, five years younger than my older brother, he would go to Seminex also. Corruption from the inside. The Methodist Church, the second largest denomination in this country, is going through a situation a schism all over the Bible what does the Bible condemn what does the Bible condone they're going to lose uh, the last numbers I saw 32% of their congregations those congregations make up 22% of their membership over 1800 churches are leaving that denomination because of the Bible The Bible. Yes, I admit, because I love the Bible, and I think that's where truth is, but I admit I find the words of the Bible sometimes offensive to me, and perhaps you have felt the same, to the way we think, to the views we have, to what we say, to what we do. I can look at the Ten Commandments, and I I can see that I stand condemned. But sometimes I imagine how how much of the words that I say are not words God would have me say. Or the thoughts, or the truths I hold as true would not be truths according to God. My behavior, so far from what God would have me do. And it always draws you to the cross. That's the power of the cross. And that's why we need that cross. And that's why the church, the world needs a church that preaches and proclaims the truth of the Bible. For we need to know we're in need of help. We're in need of a savior. We're in need of forgiveness. Reverend Farah yesterday in his uh, discussion at Men's Breakfast said that out of Christianity, only 6% of Christians have a biblical worldview. 6%. What do I mean by biblical worldview? That they believe the Bible to be God's word, all of it. And that that biblical worldview allows them to take the Bible and what the Bible shows us about life and what to think and how to live and examine themselves. Romans twelve two do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Yes, God's word so often condemns me and offends me. But it brings me to the cross where his love is displayed. You know, I was listening to uh, Reverend uh, Franklin Graham And he was talking about the church and how the church is shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. And I think, my own personal opinion, not not what he was going to say, but I think part of it is I think people expect something from the church, like the Bible, even if it's offensive. I think people desire a Bible-believing church, a church that talks about what God's Word and how we're to live, That could change society, it could change culture. And all that changes us is our love for God and what he has done for us. Franklin said that we need to evangelize. We each need to be an evangelist. Redeemer is full of people, and I love it, because you love this congregation, you love this fellowship, inviting people to church all the time. And you'd be surprised how many people in your life, in your world, that if you invited them to church, they'd probably try. You know, in the end, it's all the cross. Al Mas, one of our members, joined in the early 60s here at Redeemer. At his memorial service Friday, his daughter, Peg, told me that on his deathbed, he kept singing, Jesus loves me. This I know. In the end, it's that childlike faith that holds on to Christ. The words of Paul, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Amen. Now, may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We rise to sing the offertory. Amen.
2: Father, may nothing separate us from you today. Teach us how to choose only your way today so each step will lead us closer to you. Help us walk by the word and not by feelings. Help us to keep our hearts pure and undivided. Protect us from our own careless thoughts, words, and actions. And keep us from being distracted by our wants, our desires, and our thoughts on how things should be. Help us to embrace what comes our way as an opportunity, rather than a personal inconvenience. And finally, help us to rest in your truth. Today, we pray for those grieving the loss of loved ones. We pray for the Stargar family, as Jim Stargar's mother has passed away yesterday. We pray for the family and friends of Al and Dorothy Moss. For all those facing health concerns, Barbie Hardwin, Andrew, Christy Nina, Tony Kurnett, Chris Talinda, Vicki, Ingrid, and Doug, Ron Marks, Jimmy, Sarah, and baby Grace Johnson, Mark, Kevin Lewand Greg, Jim, Noah Jones, Michael O'Connor, Ryan Leahy, Etta Unruh, Izzy Sherman, Janelle Thorne, Jim Zier, Dan Hildebrandt, and Elaine Schultz. We pray for those in hospice care. Ginny Longren, Steve. Joe Hamada, Helen Hitaki, Rosebud Rosselli. We pray for all of those serving in the military, police and firefighters. We pray for all world leaders to be receptive to godly counsel. We pray for all the Lutherans in Burkino, Faso, West Africa, and for all those suffering from other health concerns. Prayers of thanksgiving this morning for those celebrating birthdays and anniversaries Our sanctuary altar flowers placed by Jeannie Hollis, in honor of what would have been Fred Hollis's ninety-fourth birthday, all this we ask as you have taught us to pray. Our Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant to you his peace. Mm